But at the end of the day, you have to be comfortable enough in your communication to know when you might need to pivot and try a different strategy depending upon the client that you're interacting with. Welcome back to That Vet Life. In this week's episode, we are diving into the space of evidence-based communication as I am joined by April Kudrovich, an Associate Professor of Communications at NC State's Vet School. April has been a part of the team at NC State developing a new breed of communications courses with the goal of providing students with the necessary skills and knowledge to succeed at communication when they graduate. So far, they have seen four cohorts of students graduate through this program, and the feedback has been absolutely incredible. In this episode, we discuss what has made this course successful. We also discuss the positive impacts communication courses have on the well-being of students and what it means for the continued development in a post-pandemic profession. I was absolutely brimming with excitement after talking with April, so let's jump into this week's episode. Welcome to the show. This is something that I've been looking forward to ever since I came across one of your articles when I was finding information for the health literacy episode, which is now like, I think it's like a month behind where we are, a month or two. And I was like, wait a minute. This is like, I, I just nerd out with certain things that I come across, especially research-based. So when I saw that you were working on a communications courses within a veterinary setting, I was like, I need to know more. I need to reach out. So I was really excited when you said, hey, yeah, I'll come on the podcast. And of course, you probably were wondering, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> <laughs> No, I think this will be super fun. So before we dive into what it is that I've just been rambling on about being excited about, tell us a little bit about like who you are and what you're currently working on. My name is April Kudrovich, and my official title is Associate Professor of Communication. I am at the NC State College of Veterinary Medicine, and for the last nine years, I have been working on developing, refining, and implementing a preclinical communication curriculum for all of our DVM students. That is like a beautiful synopsis. And if anybody who has been listening to the podcast, like they know that mentorship and communications are probably like the biggest thing that we talk about here. And it's been a little bit of a, a frustration in the veterinary profession that we haven't had enough research or evidence-based findings around communication, around mentorship. And for you, like you don't necessarily have like a background in veterinary medicine. So how did you get involved in this little strange world? <laughs> That's a great question. So in my field of communication, we have a subset of folks who are dedicated to providing professional communication training to graduates of a variety of disciplines, most often technical disciplines, in part because communication training is not a part of an undergraduate or graduate degree in fields like business, engineering, medicine, for example. So as I mentioned, there's a subset of communication scholars who are really interested in providing training in discipline-specific communication with the goal of helping new professionals be successful at the communication aspects of their work. So my former life consisted of me providing communication training to engineering students. Um, so now my current life has me providing discipline-specific communication training to veterinary medical students. That makes me a little bit interested. I'm like, how, like, I'm trying to think of a way to ask this nicely, but how would veterinary students compare to engineering students when it comes to their basic like intro level of communications 
Granted, that also begs the question of how are we evaluating it, but we'll get into that in a little bit. So what did you find being some of the differences between those two groups? So the primary difference actually has to do with why there are people who teach discipline-specific communication. So the primary difference between engineers and veterinarians is that engineers typically are communicating in ways where they give professional presentations, where they are trying to explain their designs or pitch proposals. They produce a lot of formal documentation. Veterinarians are communicating much more on an interpersonal level when communicating with clients, right? So the communication demands of the work are different, which means that the way that we train each group of students is going to be different. In terms of their sort of intro level knowledge and skill with respect to communication, that's a great question. I get asked that a lot when people find out sort of where I came from and what I do now. And actually, I would have to say that those two groups are pretty similar. And I think in part that is because of how people who come from scientific disciplines are trained when they're undergraduate students. So similar training. I think also there is a level of introversion that comes with people who sort of gravitate toward engineering and veterinary medicine. So I would say the two groups are actually quite similar. Hmm, That's actually a really interesting note. And I, I never really thought about it that way in that, yeah, a lot of my close friends were engineering students or music students or people that you kind of have to lock yourself in a room for many hours a day in order to study. So in that sense, you train yourself to be an introvert if you weren't already one, which I know, I guess typically we do tend to be more towards introversion. I don't know. That's a, like a more of a psychology question. But now we can kind of go into that question of like, how do we measure communication skills? Because that's where some of your research came from and that you had to, in order to come up with a, a communications course, you have to be able to evaluate and come up with metrics in order to evaluate the current status and then be able to evaluate those steps um, as the course develops and then the outcomes in order to then reiterate as needed. So when you were sitting down with your team, like how did you come up with these metrics? There are some metrics that are widely available that come from the communication discipline. So we do have some self-report measures that we can use, that we can ask students to fill out to assess their own perceptions of competence, as well as their feelings of confidence with respect to various aspects of communication. So we do have that information, which is accessible. But beyond that, right, it's one of the most, I think, robust ways to gauge skill development to assess whether what we're doing is working is to actually observe students directly as they're communicating either with their teams or with clients. And so in order to get that data, we record our student interactions and we'll use rubrics that basically allow us to record the presence of various aspects of communication or communication skills, as well as the level at which students are sort of excelling in those certain areas. So Hmm. we might code for things like the ability to ask good open-ended questions, the ability to express empathy, the ability to listen without interrupting. Those are some pretty good ones. And I'm also thinking about like the verbal versus nonverbal types of communication and how students respond to honestly being recorded in the first place. That's something that I feel is pretty unanimous across or ubiquitous across uh, veterinary schools is that they like to have some type of recording between the peers where they're like you're role playing essentially whether or not you have like trained actors but a lot of students I find they get 
more nervous if they're told that they're going to be recorded. Whereas others are probably like, eh, I don't really care. But on general, like on a general sphere, most of them are, they uh, resist being recorded. Is that something that you guys found? I think that it creates a level of anxiety around the experience. But quite honestly, I think the level of anxiety is already a little bit high for their first experiences where they have to walk into a room and they know that there's going to be a trained actor and there's also going to be a communication coach who is sitting in the corner sort of observing unobtrusively. They also know that they will be observed by a small group of their peers who will be providing peer feedback. So on the whole, I think that very first experience with a communication lab does produce anxiety. It produces anxiety even for people who've had experience communicating, right? Anytime I'm being recorded and I know I'm being watched, that produces some anxiety. The recording though itself is pretty unobtrusive. And so I think the anxiety of walking into the room and having to communicate and knowing that there is a clinician who's going to be giving them feedback already sort of creates a level of uncomfortableness around the situation. And so the recording is kind of secondary for our students. I see a lot of value in doing it. So I think it's something that once students understand, they're like, okay, I get why we're doing this. But when you're introducing the idea to students on their first round, when they come into that lab, like how are you describing it to them um, to try and lower that level of anxiety about it? We very much communicate that this is a safe space, that this is an opportunity for them to practice, to step outside their comfort zone a little bit and try some of the communication strategies that we've talked about in class. These are also ungraded experiences. And I think that anytime we can take that out of the equation, then it's going to to help students feel a bit more comfortable with that experience, right? Because they're not being evaluated on how well they performed, right? It's, so it's less of a performance because we've taken away the grading aspect of it. It is more about let's create a safe space for our students, for them to just have a conversation with another person, right? It's also not about the medicine at this point. So we take that out of the equation too. It's really about being able to walk into a room and have a conversation face-to-face with another individual to try some of the strategies that we've talked about in class and see what works for them. And also to learn what their strengths already are with respect to communication and where there are opportunities for development. So not all of our students come to us with experience having worked in a veterinary clinic as an assistant or maybe a technician. Some of them have never had to walk into a room and talk to a client before their communication labs. So they're coming with very different experiences, and many of them have never had an opportunity to practice their communication, be recorded, get some feedback. So it's also an opportunity for them to learn about the strengths they already bring, as well as ways that they can further develop their communication. And it's so much better to mess up at that moment than it is to get all the way through your career and then realize that you don't know what your strengths or weaknesses are in communication. So I just think of some of my mentees going into this, they're like, I I don't like the idea of being recorded. And it's like, I know it's uncomfortable. It hurts the first couple of times, but after that, you'll succeed far beyond what you ever thought you could just by trying. So that's what I would say to any student who's listening to this and being like, oh my gosh, they're going to record me. What do I do? It's like, it's fine. I know you're not the only one who's going to be like weirded out by this, but it will make you a better clinician and a better veterinarian and a better communicator in the long run. 
now that we've talked about this a little bit, let's dive into the research side of it a teensy bit more because we talked about some of the metrics. But when you were evaluating these, the findings from your initial, like your first cohort of students that went through it, what were the major challenges that you saw that they faced in communication? The major challenge I've seen with students is getting comfortable with the idea that communication is not one size fits all, right? So there is no perfect formula that I can give to them that says, if you do this, clients will respond in this way and it will result in this outcome for your patient. That's the thing with communication and with people, right? People are challenging and difficult because every single client that they face is going to be different and unique. And so what that means is that their communication needs to be flexible and they need to be able to adapt to the client that they're speaking to. So there's no formula. And I think that's the most challenging thing is to really help students and practitioners understand that, yes, there are certain strategies that are going to be more likely to lead to the development of a good, long-lasting relationship with clients. There are certain communication skills and techniques that if you incorporate those, clients are going to be more likely to trust you, more likely to adhere to recommendations, which will positively impact patient health. But at the end of the day, you have to be comfortable enough in your communication to know when you might need to pivot and try a different strategy depending upon the client that you're interacting with. And even as someone who's coming into our third year out in practice, I can say that is still one of the hardest things is figuring out what mask do I need to put on or who do I need to be when I walk into that room. And I feel that that is a huge challenge for students when they start out in practice is because they're trying to just put the medicine into real life work. And they're like, okay, I know the basic puppy vaccine schedule, but uh, I just got this random record from a breeder or from the rescue and I don't know what it means. And then they walk into the room and it's someone who has a completely different background or understanding to them. And they're just trying to put the two and two together. Maybe you have that puppy consult and then the very next thing is a euthanasia. And then the very next thing is an irate client. And then the very next thing, and then the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. And then by the end of the day, you're like, I was just 30 different people in one day. And that is exhausting, but that's where I feel that these communication courses are so valuable because you're putting in front of them that, hey, you're going to have to learn multiple forms of communication and how to recognize when you need to pivot. That is the biggest thing I had from what you just said, is that learning those cues from the person that you're talking with to say, all right. Me being kind of soft and happy and fluffy is not going to work here. You just need the facts. You need them straight. You need them thrown right at you. And then the very next person, you have to talk very softly and like put your hand on their shoulder and like really comfort them. So it really is just a learning. And a lot of that is just um, practice makes, well, practice makes perfect. I'm kind of not using that phrase. I don't want to use that one. Perfect practice makes perfect, but just that sense of learning when to pivot. Yeah, that was one I never really thought about, but I can see how in the research that you've done like that is something that would be highlighted. So then once you did this initial study, you found where the challenges are for the students, you had to develop these communication courses. So how did you decide what the learning objectives should be for each level of the course? Because initially, well, not initially, but before we recorded, we talked about how there are essentially three semester-long courses that were developed for these students um, starting. uh, What year do they start in for these guys? 
They start uh, their very first year, first semester of first year. Okay. So how did you guys decide what the learning objectives should be? And, and honestly, like, what are the learning objectives for a first year student versus a fourth year student? Yeah, so for the first year students, this is our team communication course. And so the learning objectives do look a bit different, although this is the course where we do start to introduce what it means to be a competent communicator. And that really applies whether we're talking about communicating when you're part of a team with your colleagues as well as with your clients. So we start very basically, we introduce the concept of relationship-centered care, which essentially means you need to cultivate that unique relationship with each person that you are communicating with. You need to be flexible and adaptable, and you need to think about some of the core communication skills that are going to help you develop those good professional relationships with everyone that you come across. So we start there, and that course is primarily, again, designed to help them communicate as a part of a team. And so we focus on things like conflict resolution, uh, how to provide feedback, how to be a good leader. We talk uh, very basically in the beginning about how to be purposeful and plan team activities. That's a unique course that is designed to target those team communication competencies. From the client communication side, we basically started with what we expected our graduates to be able to do on day one as a veterinarian, right? And that is, as you know, multifaceted. So it can range from those, right, those puppy appointments to sort of breaking bad news to really heavy end of life communication. So where do we want our students to be on day one when they graduate? And then let's develop a curriculum backwards from there so that we start with basic skills in that first client communication course where we really just want students to get comfortable being able to engage with a client during a wellness visit right? And we'll take them through sort of all of those important elements like gathering information, right? Asking good questions during a history to explaining information, explaining what's happening when you're doing a physical exam, providing initial assessments. How do you make good recommendations related to diagnostic and treatment options? From there, we build to more challenging visits or more problem-oriented appointments where Students might have to make a diagnosis and discuss various options and help clients, you know, be a partner in that decision making to discussing heavier financial matters with clients and communicating value, explaining costs, getting informed consent, all the way up to those really, really challenging and emotional, you know, end of life conversations that they'll need to have. So it very much is start where we want them to be at the end work backwards from there and develop a scaffolded curriculum. That honestly blows like every single communication course that I've ever heard of at a vet school out of the water, just from the fact that it is it's semester long. So like for myself, honestly, like I love my school. I love what they were able to do and where they were going with their communication courses. But so much of it was here's one class once a year on your communication courses. Let's build on what we did last year. And I'm like, it's been 12 months. <laughs> like, What do you want me to do? Um, so just the fact that you're tying this together throughout the course of the semester, you're really breaking it down into these smaller facets where you have to learn how to signpost. You have to learn how to ask the questions because they tell us time and time again, what's the most important part of your physical exam? The history. And if you can't take a solid history, then your hands on the animal are not going to be as valuable as you would like to think. 
and also just the financial aspect. That is something that I don't know if it's getting harder and harder to do or or what the reality is going on there. But the financial questions and financial conversations, I will say, like, even for me, is like, it's probably one of the hardest things that I go and talk to clients about. Because I like I know I want to advocate, I advocate for the pet, I don't advocate for their wallet. That's something that one of my mentors taught me. And it, it really changed my perspective on it a bit. Because I found that I was trying to decide already between diagnostics when I hadn't even asked the client, like how much they're able to spend that day or, or what the plan would be. So I think it's really huge that you guys are really thinking about that and focusing on it right now. So what has the student feedback been so far? Because you guys have already had, you've had an entire cohort go, or probably one, almost two cohorts go through because um, you started in 2014, that class graduated in 2018. Yep, so coming up four. on that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So four have gone through. What's been their feedback? Overall, the student feedback has been very, very positive. When they are in the midst of the courses, right, sometimes it's difficult to take a step back and see the utility of what they're learning every step of the way. But on the whole, the closer they get to their clinical rotations, the more valuable it becomes to them because it's closer to them having to walk into a room and be the doctor. And they've also been able to see their own improvement over time because they need to watch the recordings, they do a self-evaluation, and they have to write that up. And so for them to be able to see even the improvement that they make from their very first communication lab to their second lab, let alone their third, their fourth, their last, right? They see the improvement, which I think is motivating for them because they see that they can take the feedback, they can make small improvements, they can grow and develop. Because that's the thing with communication skills. It's not unlike any of the other skills that they're learning, right? Surgical skills, other psychomotor skills. The more you practice, right, the better you're going to get if you're dedicating time to that. So they see their improvement. They see the difference it makes on the clients, both the simulated clients as well as the clients they interact with during their rotations. So they really have seen the value of it. And in particular, the exit surveys we get from our fourth years right before they graduate have been really positive. I was actually going to ask, I was like, if you got some exit interviews or if you had actually gotten any feedback, like, have you been able to reach out to students after they've graduated and done like six, 12 months in practice? We do. We do those surveys as well. We've also been able to get some anecdotal evidence from the practices that are hiring our graduates. And so that's been really helpful to hear feedback from some of those folks out in the community that have said, your graduates are coming to us better prepared to communicate with clients. And so whatever you're doing, keep doing it because we can see the difference. That is huge. And that speaks volumes for the the meticulous time that you guys have taken. And I guess like intentional time is the better word to use because it's not like it's a big group of you guys that have been putting this together, but there's a lot of time and a lot of care that goes into it because you know that it's not just like you're teaching them how to throw a suture knot. Like, yes, that's very important and it's an integral part of being a veterinarian, but the skills that you set them up with now as students are what they're going to build upon. And that's what they're going to have when they leave and they leave vet school and go out into the big wide world and actually develop into veterinarians. Because I, I always like to tell students like that school will teach you the necessary skills and information to survive 
That's all vet school can do. It's everything that you do after that moment, everything that you do to build on what they've given you that will turn you into an awesome veterinarian. So I think of these communication skills and teaching them verbal, nonverbal communication, how to pivot, how to recognize when they need to pivot, essentially. Like those are all things that it gets me really excited and it really makes me kind of nerd out a bit more because I'm like, this is something that I wish I had a lot more of as a student. So I'm really kind of curious, like what would be the structure of say our third year course, like a third year class? So the third year class primarily, as I mentioned, focuses on those problem appointments. So we teach students how to have difficult conversations, right? How to break bad news, how to have discussions about different options and really partner with the client, empower the client with the information that they need to be able to to make important decisions with their veterinarian for the patient. We have two communication labs. So the first one is exactly that. So you have to break some news about some sort of chronic illness that you now have discovered as a result of doing diagnostics. You're going to walk the client through those diagnostics, what you found, what's going on with the patient, and engage them in a discussion of the possible options and come to some sort of decision with them. From there, um, they have a second lab, which is an end-of-life conversation, right? So it's getting to maybe the end of some sort of chronic disease process. And so helping the client come to terms with how that disease has progressed in the patient, how to have conversations around quality of life issues, how to prepare the client for the euthanasia process. So basically two pretty in-depth labs where they're having much more challenging interactions with their clients. It's also during this course where we talk about adverse events and medical errors and some of the communication challenges around that. But that third year course is pretty much experiential. So we have just a few didactic sessions where we provide them with information necessary to help them navigate their labs. And the rest of the time is them working in small groups as they navigate through these communication lab experiences, get feedback, provide peer feedback to each other, and do some self-assessment. So highly interactive, very much lab, experiential Mm -hmm. based. Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at VEDEX. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our VETEX community. The Thrive community is a race accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetexinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that VetLife podcast. Over to you, Mo something that they feel like they can actually put application to the things that they've been learning previously, which is 
so important for these guys because I know as soon as you hit, like you're so close to being in rotations, you just get to that point where you're like, I'm sick and tired of vet school. I'm sick and tired of being in a lecture hall all day. Put me in clinics. Come on. So to have a little bit of a taste of that before they launch into their clinical rotations, it probably like reignites that excitement that they have about the profession because that's what I find a lot of students, they're, they're sick and tired in third year, and then they get into rotations, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. This is exciting. This is awesome. I remember why I'm doing this. So I think it's great that they're able to do that. And as you were talking about chronic illness and quality of life and euthanasia, it kind of, not kind of, it makes me think about the mental health aspect and the benefit of working on these communication skills now, like what that means for them when they go into practice, because there's two schools of thought when it comes to like dealing with these kind of emotions because like it does it impacts you on an emotional level when you're having when you've built that relationship with that client when you have been walking every single step of the way with them through this chronic illness and now you're at that point of talking about their quality of life and their euthanasia and I guess like do you guys go through a course on how these students can protect their own well-being and mental health in having these conversations or how do you go about it, I guess, is the question I have. Yeah, that's a great question. It is a fine line, right? And I'm glad that you brought that up between developing that, you know, that authentic professional relationships, especially might be clients you've had for, you know, decades, right? And when when you've been in practice for a while, you might have seen a patient from the time they were a kitten or puppy all the way through to the end, right? So long-term relationships that can really be an emotional experience for you as the veterinarian, as well as for that client. So the interesting thing is that the relationship between communication and well-being has been explored. And a lot of the research that comes out of health communication literature in particular suggests that the more competent you are in your communication skills, the better your well-being. Because you have the confidence to engage in these interactions with clients You are skilled at asking good questions. You are skilled at guiding the client, but not taking on emotions of the client, right? So there's a difference between empathy and taking on all of the emotions of the client. And so effective communication is actually one of the ways to help protect from some of that burnout and compassion fatigue. It's also the way that we can get support when we need it from our colleagues, right? So when we are more competent at our communication, we are more skilled at asking for the support that we need when we need it. So there's actually a a strong connection there between being skilled and competent in your communication and actually having positive impacts on your own well-being. That said, right? It is important to provide students instruction on boundaries, right? Because we never want students to take on, as I said, their client's emotion, their client's problems and issues. There does need to be that sort of professional relationship there, right? So empathy without taking things on. So boundaries, cultivating boundaries are important. We do have sessions as a part of our communication courses that talk about well-being. We do have students do their own sort of well-being assessments periodically to kind of see where they're at throughout the semester and then develop plans, all under the guise of really trying to instill in them the importance of keeping their own well-being at the forefront throughout their career, being able to do those checks 
being able to keep the importance of boundaries in mind and also recognize that, you know, empathy doesn't mean we take things on, right? It means that Mm -hmm. we are in a position to show compassion to our patient and our clients. And that if we are able to do that well, we're going to be more satisfied, right, in our career and we'll ultimately have better well-being. Absolutely. And I am so glad that we're talking about this little like microcosm of communication because so much of it is we think about, oh, just effective communication. How do we get our point across? How do we tell the client what we want to do? And it's like, no, no, this is a relationship first off. But also from the well-being aspect, like we don't talk about that enough. We talk about mental health and we talk about well-being and this, that, and the other, but we don't talk about how the things that we're learning in vet school, like how that can actually positively impact our own well-being to basically give us a, a longer longevity within this profession. So that is something that I think I'm really excited to see how that grows and blossoms and develops, but also to see how this is impacted by the pandemic. So this is a perfect little segue into that, into our last little section here of looking at communication courses in light of the pressure cooker of the pandemic that's just been going on. So for you guys, you had this communication course going on for quite a while, and then boom, here's the pandemic. You are preventing students from being able, for a while, preventing them from being face-to-face with each other, having to do everything virtually. They're worried that they're not going to get enough client interaction. They're worried that their medical education is going to be limited. They're scared to go out into the world as veterinarians, granted not all of them, but in general. So how did you guys have to pivot in order to better focus these courses to meet the needs of the new classes of students? So we treated it just like uh, veterinary visits were being conducted in practice during the pandemic, and we did virtual visits. And so what that meant is we modified our case presentations slightly. And by that, I mean the information we gave to the students. So we set it up as a telemedicine visit, right? So this client's coming in with this patient. The patient's going to come in and you're going to put hands on the animal, but your interaction with the client is going to be just as it would be done and and was currently being done at the time in practice, right? Either over the phone or through video call. So we relied heavily on Zoom for all of these interactions. We still had our actors participate. We still had our communication coaches who turned their videos off so that they weren't a part of that interaction, but they were able to still observe, as well as their peers who were observing to give feedback. So we really tried to capitalize on the experience and provide students with a unique skill set that should this happen again, where we have to go back to more telemedicine appointments, either because telemedicine becomes more prominent in terms of some types of veterinary visits, or because again, we are dealing with a pandemic or something similar where we're just not allowed to have clients come in to limit that contact. We really saw it as an opportunity to provide unique training for what was currently happening. And it was interesting because the students who at that time were doing these virtual experiences for their communication labs, it was their very first client course. So it was the introductory client communication course. These students now were able to be in person to do their advanced client communication courses. And from their perspective, it was really interesting to hear them reflect on those two different experiences. And many of them really appreciated the opportunity to practice telemedicine in some way. 
It also helps them realize how much information they get from clients non-verbally from their facial expressions and posture because they couldn't see the full person, right? So we still do have a lot of nonverbal cues at our disposal when we're operating via Zoom or even over the telephone, right? We can listen to tone of voice. We can listen to pauses, for example. And we can see eyes, even if we're wearing a mask. But we're not getting the full effect when we can't see a full face and maybe when we can't see what people are doing with their arms or sort of, you know, crossing their legs. So it was invaluable to teach our students on the power of of attending to nonverbal cues. And as someone who started working in the heat of the pandemic where all I had were phone calls, that was the biggest frustration that I had because I'm trying to put medicine and communication together and I'm on the phone trying to convey what I'm seeing in the exam, what the treatment's going to look like, heck, how to even use the ear medication I'm sending home. Like all of these little things were so hard to do over the phone. And again, I was trying to really pull into that. Okay. I was like thinking, okay, did they just pause longer? Did they just change their tone of voice? Uh, What's going on? Was it just their Bluetooth disconnecting on the car? Like what's going on here? But then also from the masked perspective, that's a huge one. And I feel, I don't know if it's Maybe it, it might just be my normal expression, but I think I'm hyper aware now of what the upper half of my face does in the fact that I I feel like in some cases, when especially when I'm wearing a mask, I like over exemplify things on my eyes and my eyebrows just to show like my nonverbal forms of communication with clients because we're still relatively masked at my practice. So I don't really have like my big smile to show them or anything, but I try to use my tone of voice. I try to use my posture, try to use mirroring as much as I can. But I feel like my eyebrows must be like pinned to the top of my forehead by the end of some of these exams as I'm trying to show them everything. But I'm really glad that you guys were able to do that for these students to give them those two perspectives. Because again, as someone who is in like early stages of career, when you were doing these things, like it is so valuable, so, so valuable. And like, I wish I had a little bit more training going out to it because I just had to learn it on the fly, quite honestly. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. And uh, as we're kind of wrapping up here, then I'm thinking like, what is, what are the implications of this? Um, Everything that we've learned from the pandemic and just from your courses and your research Like, where do you see communication courses, maybe just at NC State or at other schools, like, where do you see it going in the next five or 10 years? It's kind of a big, ambiguous question, but. It is, but it's a good one. And I think, you know, we always need to be thinking about where our students are going to, you know, what training can we provide our students to help meet the needs that they're going to have in five years, right? Which can be difficult. I think for our purposes at NC State and probably other veterinary schools across the country, uh, you know, internationally even that are providing communication training. I think we are doing much more research now that shows the good news is what we're doing is working, right? So being able to assess and evaluate what we're doing and to determine the impacts of our training, I think that's important. And I think that it shows that, that what we are doing collectively is working. However, that doesn't mean that there are not opportunities to grow So I think our current efforts, and I think many veterinary schools are following a similar trajectory, which is to focus much more on competency-based veterinary medical education and really thinking about integrating communication with all other aspects of training, right? So whether that's business or ethics, 
you know, other uh, psychomotor skills, right? Surgery, if we can integrate, you know, some sort of communication, you're going to assess your communication while doing surgery as a part of this team. But greater integration of communication with all other aspects of the curriculum, I think, is sort of where we're moving so that, you know, we're really training our students to be able to both communicate and work as a part of a team while doing a surgery, to communicate and be able to engage in clinical reasoning and problem solving on the fly with clients, right? To be able to communicate while also thinking potentially about some of the ethical ramifications of what they're doing. So greater integration, you know, with well-being as well. Yes. Just thinking that. So all of these things, I really think it's greater integration. It is also, I think, greater acknowledgement of the impact of technology on our communication. So whether that is telemedicine, doing things via Zoom, it might also be, you know, we're, we're starting to do a little bit more now where we talk about how do you develop, construct, maintain your professional identity online in the virtual Ooh, world and what yes. that means, right? So thinking about how we portray our professional identity via social media, I think it's all of this, technology, integration. And, you know, we don't know exactly where our students are going to need to be in five years, but the really great news is that there are a lot of wonderful, dedicated clinicians and communication scholars who are interested in, in helping others learn from what they're doing and conducting the research that's going to help move us forward to where we need to be. This is making me think you guys need a bigger team <laughs> <laughs> with all these big plans and big ideas, which are honestly amazing. And everything that you're saying, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so true. I can't wait to see what this develops into. Because I think about like just even before like the early 2000s or early like 2010 around, like communication wasn't really talked about or it wasn't really implemented into vet school. It was just kind of like, oh, you're just going to be a good communicator when you graduate and they'll learn it on the fly. And then they realized, oh, maybe we should teach these quote unquote soft skills. And of course, now we're looking at it, we're like, don't call it soft skills. <laughs> That's not what it is. It's probably the most important skill that you can have as a veterinarian. And so they changed it into professional skills. And so the continued evolution of what communication courses is going to be, it just makes me infinitely excited. <laughs> like, I don't think I can fully express it here. But the people who listen to the podcast, they kind of get, they're like, all right, all right, we get it. You're excited about it. But <laughs> I want to say thank you so, so much for coming on the show and talking about this. This is an area that I honestly, I want to learn so much more about. And I know you guys have some awesome research papers that are out there. So I want to give you a little bit of space of time to say a little bit more about where people could reach out to you or reach out to the team or find some of your research. Yeah. So people can reach out to me directly. Happy for you to share my email, my contact information. All of my publications are pretty well accessible. You can find me if you just search on PubMed, or you can go to the Journal of Veterinary Medical Education. Many of them are published there. And I'm happy to share any resources and information that might be useful to folks who want to improve their skills or other people who might be interested in doing some additional research or training in this area. Absolutely. And we will have all that information down in the show notes for you guys. So you can go and read up on those publications. I spent way too many hours reading through them before this episode, to be fair, because everyone that I got through, I was like, this is awesome. Let's read the next one and the next one. So they're definitely worth it. 
But again, thank you so much for coming on the show. And for everyone who is listening, if you want to learn more about the communication courses that are going on, definitely go and search her on PubMed, go and read the articles that'll be posted below. But otherwise, you can find out more information also on the Thrive community. So go and join that. It is free to sign up. But until next time, y'all, see ya. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Bet Life. <laughs>